welcome back everybody to the Electric Priest Podcast. I'm your host Sean McInerney. Hope you're all doing well and enjoying your summer. This week I'm chatting with Steve Rowe, founder of Hoopla, one of London's first improv theatres. Now Steve has built Hoopla into a fantastic improv community, which is no surprise as he's a brilliant performer and teacher. Steve had a big part in my improv development, so I was delighted to have him on the podcast. So here's my chat with Steve Rowe. And then also, um, long term for us, it's great because we were we were just completely completely London focused um, before, but then now um, we're obviously bringing improv workshops to people around the whole of the UK um, and overseas. So that's pretty cool. And then you do get you get you get you really get a feeling of like how many people want to do stuff, but not just improv, but any artistic or acting things, but just don't have anything in the town they're living because I mean it has to be a kind of reasonable sized town or a small city until until you've really got a critical amount of people to have an improv theatre in the first place so I think that's been good oh that's fantastic uh, and I've, like, I've enjoyed playing with all like this sort of uh you know sharing music sharing video while teaching and doing shows and all that sort of stuff like doing the tech side of things is pretty cool as well oh why that's great and uh, well Steve I wanted to ask you kind of first off how did you get into performing how did that come about uh yeah sure so um I started off uh I mean uh I could go on for hours but I'll just drink <laughs> as per the last question <laughs> you can kick these sort of weird bits in I just I'm quite conscious that I want to be of interest and help to your audience <laughs> rather than just I haven't the only person I've spoken to today is the plumber who came and fixed our bath and uh, but he's quite an interesting guy actually but that's a different story um. <laughs> So, um, I mean, it's quite lucky. I went to um, the schools that I was at. I grew up in South London and the schools that I was at, I was at the kind of state schools, but they were quite good ones. And um, they were like, ha- luckily, every, three st- the primary, middle, high school I went to, they all had fantastic drama teachers. So just at normal, just being a kid, like being in the school play. And also we used to be in a summer sketch show every summer. Uh, where we'd really? Perform Monty, yeah, like perform Monty Python and Two Ronnies and like um this sort of stuff when i was about 10 or 11 uh well you would write it or you'd be imitating sketches that they'd done uh we just put on like actual monty python sketches yeah ah cool yeah so i was in the argument sketch that was my favorite and um oh the argument clinic yeah oh yeah yeah, it's a great one (laughs) yeah it's classic um great for game of the scene actually monty python even though they didn't use that term but like they do they do follow that format um yeah big time so, uh, yeah, that was kind of like just a really good experience because once every summer through through like a, a number of years at school, I was just lucky enough to be in this summer sketch show. And it was kind of a big deal. Like all the parents and kids would come uh, and you'd all be in this thing and make, make like everyone laugh was a good feeling. Uh, and then you just made friends. And all my best friends that are still my best friends now, they're all from that era. Like Really? Um, oh, wow. Yeah all from like my GCSE drama group and like school school plays and we used to write sketches and stuff and we kind of did improv at school but it wasn't called improv if that makes sense I don't think it was known as that name but we definitely would um, improvise to create sketches and stuff was it like theater games like Viola Spolin or something like that no it was more acting style actually it was more like I remember quite clearly uh, it was an old boys school at high school um, so we were obsessed by war and <laughs> <laughs> the teacher teacher uh miss price who everyone was madly in love with um okay. she, she um <laughs> no she was a lovely person so um she, so she shout out to miss price shout out to miss price yeah um she uh had had us in two trenches different sides of the room and we just spent an hour in character playing like one side German and one side English, just in character of being in the trenches, just to like, she's trying to teach empathy, I think, most of all, like to really think what it would have been like. Uh, she's pointing out that these, these guys would have only been like really four years older than we were at the time. Um, wow. And I just, I just remember spending an hour just like basically lying on my back, like writing a letter to home in the First World War. Um, and then suddenly my mate Edgar, <laughs> who was my best friend, he suddenly... <laughs> got up, chucked a chair across the room and it was like, I can't stand anymore. Die, fuckers. And he like charged at the other team and just started like, 
there's this huge fight breakout and um and then afterwards she basically told him like amazing work like she was like did that feel true to you and she was he was like i couldn't cope with being there anymore and rather than tell him off for violence um she was like great work Edgar. this is what we all need from you guys <laughs> like kind of pure expression um and i think it's a very method of teaching them yeah yeah and then we wrote um we had to devise for gcse um yeah, we 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 devised something called Vietnam Death now, and it was basically <laughs> like all, all, all Vietnam War cliches compressed into one handy play, um, and we we loved it. It was so funny. It wasn't it wasn't funny. It was actually pretty serious, but you know, just the process of making. It. Anyway, to cut a long story short, that was school, so I was really into it, and then um, became totally insecure about acting uh, from the age of like I don't know seventeen until I didn't didn't do anything from when I was 17 until I was about 24 25 oh wow um, so what were you doing in that time then were you just working kind of just regular job yeah I went to uni I did engineering um and I did worked in IT um and then after when I got to 25 I was like oh I'm not happy <laughs> um <laughs> I just felt like I was I was very conscious. I was very. I mean, I was not. I'm not saying those things make you unhappy, but it. I was just very much felt like I was, um, in the wrong life. Um, I was reading a lot of the. I was reading One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and um, I kind of like related to that book somewhat because I was like, I feel like, I'm either the only mad person in this situation or I'm just in the wrong situation and. Um, Okay, um, I didn't know what parallel you were going to draw from that book. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just like you know, because it's I don't know, but I, I won't. Yeah, but it's just like um, I don't know. It's just I mean, like a lot of people at that age, it's just sort of you're like, what am I gonna am I gonna do this forever? And um, yeah, I don't know. And then I ju- and then just a bunch of stuff just happened to kind of tweak. so one I just got invited into my friend's um, murder mi- murder mystery party where I had to play the role of a clown <laughs> that got murdered. Really? Just for, yeah, that just was the for, first time you performed in ages. Yeah, for a long time. Yeah, ever since I was like literally seventeen. I was about twenty-five, and then um, yeah, it's just for charity. And then I had to do that, and I had to do a juggling thing. And could you juggle? <laughs> yeah. Well, we practiced all summer. <laughs> okay. So you and then work. yeah, we did it. And then um, I was like, bloody hell! And it was just like immediately like being back when I was a kid doing those summer things. So I was like, this is. This really feels like living, if that makes sense. Like, it really felt yeah. fully alive. It clicked. it clicked with you. Yeah, you know what it's like, right? It's just oh, 100%. like... 100%. I had actually you know, the same experience as you. I was about 24, 25, and I was like, uh, yeah, I'm done. I want to get into performing, and same kind of thing. Yeah, it's like a thirst, I think. It's just like... It's just like... It's like I mean, because there's nothing wrong with life now, right? We're locked down, and I'm like, I'm getting three things, and, you know, I do my fucking little walks around the park and, like, all that shit. But... You know, it's nothing beats making a hundred people laugh in a room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, having a big party afterwards, like that's it's just full on. And I think, um, yes, yeah, so I did that, and then, and then from that, I got interested in writing sketches. Um, I was trying to be a sketch writer. I thought is what I wanted to do, but then actually, I think it was um, the real the, the improv breakthrough to 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 bring it back to what we're talking about was um, when I was down in Brighton and. Um, my girlfriend at the time took me out to watch something. We didn't know. We just were like, oh, we'll just go watch something, whatever's on. And we went to the Marlborough Theatre then. It just happened to be the May Days that were performing. And it was like the first year that they'd been um, together. Oh, wow. I, I didn't really know of improv or what improv was. But then saw them and I was just like, wow, that's so good. So I just wanted it to be like, it was one of those shows. It was really funny. You love watching them. They, they just wanted to know them. And I was just like, I'd love to be in that because whatever they're doing, I don't know how they're doing it, but that is so much funnier than anything I'm writing. But <laughs> I'm I'm trying really hard to write funny stuff, <laughs> and they're just getting up and just doing it. And um, there's just such a good energy about them. So then I was just sort of uh, learning with them the whole time I was here. Um, oh wow! So you approached them after seeing them and said, "I want to join, or I want to learn from you." Or no, they just like they literally just started classes like that year. I was really lucky actually, because uh, improv was pretty. In terms of like long form improv, it's pretty new to England st- still. What year would uh, this have been? I think it was like two thousand and five, maybe. Okay, yeah, it's long before maybe the big boom of, happened. 
Yeah, and I mean Casey Shoot, who's who was in them, and John Creamer. They, I mean, they'd literally just got back from Chicago, and I think they were the first, like, kind of, well, as far as I know, the first like UK improvisers to go and train there. So they just got back from like IO uh, from the summer, and Second City and stuff, um, and they're just running drop-ins and things. So it's just like it's just such an easy-going way to learn because there was very low expectation of it going anywhere i was just like well i just want to do this uh for fun um and at the end of the year being with them there i, I had to move back to london because of work so then um and there weren't really any drop-ins running at the time weirdly enough and then, i mean there's a lot of other courses but i was just like well i want to keep it going i haven't, didn't have the money at the time to sign up for courses and stuff so yeah me and my old gcse Vietnam death now mates <laughs> we basically just got together and just started running a free uh once a week improv practice that was all Hoopla was for quite a long time actually um so just so just, sorry, so, so just to kind of ask you you trained with maydays for was it like a few weeks or a few months um no it's a whole year a um, whole year yeah just doing as much I mean I got really I mean <laughs> I know when I first met you I said that you reminded me of what I was like, which is a good thing, um, because, <laughs> like, you know, you start something off, and I was just like, well, I want to do it, and um, so then I just did it as much as I could. I mean, it was just like, I was going to every single class, every single show. Um, I remember at one point, I was like a sort of weird fan of John Creamer from the May Days. At one point, he was teaching in Nottingham, and I lived in Brighton, and me and Edgar turned up, and he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> you live in Brighton I've just come from Brighton we're like yeah but we want to do some we want to do something this weekend so we just like went to Nottingham and stayed in <laughs> stayed in a room above a pub just so we could do two days with him so you were like his groupies <laughs> yeah pretty much and then um and then we we're going there's and then in London once we moved back there um Alan Marriott um and Dylan Emery were running the Crunchy Frog Collective mm-hmm. um and that was a drop-in um it wasn't all the time though so that's why we did Hippler one as well but so we're going to learn from them uh sprout ideas then really luckily like my first year of doing improv um keith johnston and patty styles came over through the spontaneity shop oh wow and we signed up for that not really know like i mean my mate edgar from hippler he didn't know who who they were i just said we should do it so we, he signed up and um you know i heard he was a improv teacher but no it was a big deal um, so we went in with like no knowledge or expectations, which I think is a great way to learn. And then we had two weeks with them and Patty pretty much just, um, we used to hang out with her afterwards and she just told us like how to set up an improv scene really and like how to, you know, just gave us loads of like loads of free advice, which was cool. Yeah, she's um, lovely, Patty. I can totally see her doing that. Yeah. Um, so had it been all long form that you trained in? up until this point or was it like a mixture of short form narrative, um long it's form? a yeah it's a mixture i think i think because of that i think it's that's reflected in hoopla's sort of course structure now is like i don't um i kind of find like short form helpful for long form so i don't i don't think i don't treat them as separate things i think um um you know i think every short form game's trying to teach like a particular like it's fun but it's also the reason they exist is because there's some improv teacher once was trying to teach a particular skill for people. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, I think short form inspires long form and vice versa. So yeah, we just sort of liked the whole of improv really. You better have something to fall back on and blah, 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 blah. It's so fucking cautious. It's just like, you know, be more American. It's just like, if you're going to do something, you obviously have to learn it and practice it a lot and, you know, commit, if you're not going to commit, it's not really, going to take off so uh yeah so i think a lot of people like thought i was mad but it worked out so fuck it and um <laughs> and, you know <laughs> such an amazing way to close that it worked out so fuck it <laughs> yeah that's the thing like when you're young and you're doing something if you've got any people doubting you in your life it's you know it's fine they can doubt you but the only thing they can't argue with is is uh, results and action you know so it's just like i was like yeah if this doesn't work out then i'm mad but you know, it's just taking responsibility, isn't it? Don't know why I'm going off on one here, but that's <laughs> <laughs> no, fine. I, I, I actually totally agree with you. I think that passion and that you know, bordering on obsession, 
most yeah. most like renowned improvisers or teams you hear about that's that's where it all came from like uh i was talking to holly lawrence she was on about when she joined when she started in the reckoning like they were trying to do twice as much as every other team to be yeah. twice as good as every other team and she was going to see improv like every night at one stage and all that stuff and you know it's no coincidence that those people are the ones who you know make their mark so i totally yeah. agree with you yeah uh, there's, a, there's another example of that in i've got there's a great book actually called um uh, what's it called it's called it's like the history of long form improv in chicago um and was it truth and comedy no it's called um i think it's called shortcuts to long form improvisation or something like that and it's like a more of a historical just like what group what each group did and it was written in, in the early noughties so it's it's mainly about the 90s and it talks about there's a group called jazz freddy and there's another group called the family or something and um yeah, same thing. They're like, they're like, both these groups will notice that most most improv groups were rehearsing barely once a week, and even then, not everyone was there. And these groups made a commitment. They're like, let's rehearse five times a week. Um, so they rehearsed wow. five times a, five times a week, all there. <laughs> uh, and then they they both became top IO teams, and then they off they all went off to be like second, um, sorry, Saturday Night Live writers. Um, like two of them matt besser was in one of them in the family yeah with amy poehler i think yeah yeah and it talks about it's weird it's funny book because it talks about them before it knew that they'd go on to start ucb so it's like um yeah it's just like the ones that commit sort of make it it's, I, I don't know it's just not really i don't know why that's surprising to people sometimes <laughs> i think i think a lot of people are scared to go all chips in into something because they're scared you know if it does fail then you know they look silly but I mean, you're, yeah. not you're not really living if you can play it that way, in my opinion. Yeah, well, it's failed already then, hasn't it? So it's just like, I don't know. Absolutely. But it makes me worry, though, because it's like, I know there's lots of things I'm not getting all chips in at the moment. So I'm like, I don't know. It's just well, different different life, isn't it? Different, different yeah, it's, a, it's a pandemic, so I think everybody's been a little cautious these days, so it would be too hard for yourself. <laughs> no, Sean, there's no excuses. <laughs> I'm going to sell out a thousand-seater venue tomorrow. <laughs> With my solo show uh, called, um, today. All Guns Blazing, Steve Rowe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> going down All Guns Blazing. Uh, and how did you find training with Keith Johnson? Because obviously he's like, you know, a legendary figure now in improv. How did you find training under him? Yeah, it was fantastic, actually. It was, um, the interesting thing about him is like, he's one of those few teachers where, um, you find what he said like sticks with you for a long, long, long time. So there's loads of teachers where you know I've had a great time in their classes and I've learned through practice. Um, and I have to say I'm probably one of those teachers myself. Whereas <laughs> him, like you wouldn't be up much because it was a large group and he does talk for a long time uh, because he's got a lot of history and he's got a lot of great things to say. But when he does get you up, like he totally gets you and totally gives like like I think what you need like right there um in the moment so i remember he got a scene with me where he just said your first line is going to be you are my best friend and then i said it and he just immediately stopped me and he's like let's try that again um <laughs> and then he sort of like made me move my hand a little bit and then uncrossed my legs a different way and then he looked at how my body shape was and it's basically like i was saying the lines but i was completely closed off to any vulnerability or like actually meaning to the line so i wasn't really and that's really sat with me. So like sometimes now if I'm in a show or I'm teaching, or especially if I'm in a stressful situation, um, I just immediately remember what he said there to like of how to like unlock the body so that you feel relaxed. And actually funny enough, so that you make people around you feel relaxed. Um, and that's been helpful like beyond improv. If I'm in like a, um, a sort of stressful meeting or a sales meeting, um, it's just like just remembering to kind of unlock joints and be relaxed and open um sort of diffuses conflicts immediately so that was great and then yeah like physically being physically open just is just a totally different thing in conversation and performing like you say it's, it's such a critical point but it's something we so easily forget yeah yeah definitely uh and then the other thing um yeah and he did a lot of, the other thing he did a lot for me was this thing called psychotic what happens next <laughs> which is okay, where right. you play the game what happens next um where you say uh 
you know, what happens next? Do you walk through a park? What happens next? Do you kick a ball? Um, but he, he, he played it with me where um, when, I, when I answer the question, what happens next, I have to say it in a psychotic voice. And eventually what happens is it kind of comes, you, you stop blocking yourself and you start um, coming from your kind of deeper subconscious, like more repressed areas. Um, and it's really fucking funny because it's just, uh, I think in, in real life, I'm so overly worried about social, getting things socially wrong. Um, like many people are that but that's you can't really have space for that on stage so it just got rid of that and I felt like I really felt like I was fully being myself <laughs> like my full my full inner dickhead dickhead came out <laughs> um, such a lovely way of putting it <laughs> yeah and for me like when improv's going badly for me it's just when I'm like you know in the it, as one says like in your mind and thinking too much and worried about you know what the other people on stage or in the audience think of you it's sort of like a horrible place to be and going back to Keith's stuff and the being obvious as well can help with that it's just sort of that feeling of like really just fully being yourself uh, and it feeling like more kind of um, like warmly relaxed and spontaneous and not overly thinking it I think that's what I really get from him the same with his books as well which I really love um, especially his first book I really enjoy uh, is Impro yeah it's just to go back to that kind of like flowing spontaneity without the rules attached to it so much. And um, I think it's always a great place to come from. Yeah. So that's what I got from him. Yeah. Well, what I got a lot from Keith Johnson, obviously I've never trained with him from reading and, you know, I've done some workshops with Patty Styles. is It's a very um, acting based approach to improv in the sense that you really immer- immerse yourself in the character and be very present with your scene partner and, you know, it doesn't have to be funny. It can be really, really moving. Like uh, Patty Styles has her little book of horrors. Did you ever do that with her? No, I've never done that one. <laughs> She's like a folder, and yeah. it's it's like horrendous news articles, and right. that, and that's what your inspiration for the scene. You have to really act out that scene. So like, oh god, yeah, it was like it was kind of mind blowing because it was these like very very heavy scenes, yeah. but like they were really moving. But it's just you knew it never would have come about if it weren't for that inspiration, you know? Yeah. But, but like that kind of opened my eyes because I think we automatically think every scene has to be absolutely hilarious when we do improv. But you can have like really sweet, tender moments as well. Yeah. I, I think it's a really good point. And for me, like I think everyone, every improvise is differently. Personally, for me, I'm funnier and I make funnier scenes when I'm attempting to play moving, serious scenes. But um, I'm not very good at deliberately trying to be funny. But if I'm trying to tell a story that's sort of touching, then just funny shit just happens sort yeah. of to the scene. And that, that's kind of what, as a performer, that's what I really um, enjoy doing. I'm not so good at um, the more game of the scene UCB style where I'm deliberately trying to spot what's funny. Like the second I start thinking like that, I just um, I panic and become quite self-conscious. I, I never quite got around that. So if I'm in one of those shows, I actually, I, I actually think right i'm going to try and play the most <laughs> serious character and scene that i can um and then before you know it like something funny pops up and um and then yeah pl- play with it but uh but yeah but yeah that kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about you know different styles there's so many different theories and approaches to improv and, and i think that's i agree what you said earlier but you know you should train under a lot of different people because you're going to find what works for you and what doesn't and yeah you know, you're just adding it to your toolkit Mm. Um, so what, like, what was the first team you started performing in then, Steve? Um, so first show was, was Hoopla. So like Hoopla as a name, um, was actually the name of like, of like a small team of us performing. So that's where it came from. It's only years later that it progressed to being the name for a theatre and then all our classes and stuff. But at first Hoopla was just the name of the first group. Ah, and how did um, the name come about? Uh, yeah, so it was, um. So a bunch of my mates were in it, including these um, high school friends. So, you know, known each other for years. And um, and a bunch of us, like, when, before we had a name, we had a, we had a kind of group that were practising and we, we did have some shows, but we didn't really have a name for anything. Um, and then we were, one Easter, we were off to North Devon um together as you do, as you do. <laughs> just not as a show just to have a break and we're just uh we're all crammed into a fiat uno like five guys in a fiat uno 
That sounds and, like a nightmare journey. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we had to get out to, for it to get up the big hills in the countryside there <laughs> and, and, and like push it up. Um, it was a real like, uh, anyway, and two of them had, which had just happened to be reading about clowns. And whenever we drove through a little village, um, they all high as well. They had their arms out the window, <laughs> like little chimpanzees. And as we drove through, they went, oh, blow, 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 because they said it felt like the circus was in town. So it was like the, the sounds. I think hoopla was the sound of um, a clown might might make having done some sort of trick. Uh, lands on his feet and then goes hoopla that is um, an amazing origin story to yeah. <laughs> and the hoopla comes from the word upa which is greek which is um which is also done after if you do a dance or a shade of upa oh but, yeah i've seen that yeah yeah but then it got changed into hoopla by them anyway so we're basically we're <laughs> we're driving around devon just saying hoopla 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 they just and they kept doing it all the time um and it just stuck from there uh, oh right, okay, I love that. So that was and, and so you you got together with the people you went to school with and formed yeah. a team, and that became Hoopla. And yeah. How did your first few shows go? Uh, it's a really good question, Sean. Um, because it's hard to remember, I'm afraid, because it was a while ago. So I'm trying. I'm just trying to get the order right. It's very memorable because so there was one that was. A sort of halfway show where it's more of a workshop but we just invited like six people along to watch because it was my birthday and they went to come your first show was on your birthday yeah but it wasn't like a it wasn't a birthday with a zero at the end i don't know what birthday it, was. it wasn't like a big deal it's, i love that it was a lesser birthday so it was fine <laughs> yeah it was like a workshop that we've been doing for ages and then i had some friends from work and then they i don't know i don't know if it was a good show for the friends from work I think I just fucking put a table in the workshop room and they watched it and had a few drinks. But I think that went okay. I can't really remember. Then the first proper one, I mean, that was really, that was, uh, I was like, no, I can't remember if it was good or bad. It was an experience, that's for sure. Because <laughs> the thing is, Sean, because we grew up, because it, it was in Balham and we grew up, I was born in Tooting and we grew up around um, South London. Mm-hmm. And we're of the age where like, Actually, all our friends were back from university and stuff. So, it, like, actually, our first shows were bonkers. Like, we had, I mean, our fourth show had about 150 people in. Really? Um, yeah, because it was like, it became the thing for everyone who, to reconnect to friends from high school and teenage years after university. So, um, they used to be, like, it was very, very rowdy. Um, so, we're doing short form, little, kind of mini, I suppose, mid form, like, short form like scenes mini stories like mini multiple scene stories just like a mix of a mix of stuff basically um and i think i think the first one went well i remember there's one that didn't go well and i was hosting it and in the first half i was like thinking i want i don't know if this is going well or not and then after the interval like half the audience didn't come back and i was like <laughs> oh shit that's and a horrible no- feeling <laughs> And it just nosedived after that. And I remember really clearly, uh, I remember that one. I remember after the show going into the green room um, and hiding under the table because I was like, I can't go to the bar and face anyone. That was so awful. And then, but then I got a piece of paper out and I wrote one column, everything I hated about the show. And then next to it, in the second column, I wrote uh, what the opposite of that was. And so I was like, well, that's what we'll have to rehearse this month because like we need to flip these things into good things oh, that's a really good idea yeah it's like you just sort of like you know just so you can stay positive right so rather than saying like we need to stop doing this you, you want to be like we need to do we need to do more of what we do want like so i was just i was very much like trying to trying to always replace like the behavior you don't i mean one point <laughs> this show one point one of the actors it was pr- before the smoking ban at one point two actors are on stage <laughs> in the scene uh, one guy from off stage walks across the front of the stage. He's in the show, goes to like the third row, starts chatting to someone, gets a cigarette, walks back past the front of the stage, and then lights it. And I was just like, <laughs> "That is the what? most fucking unsupportive thing I've seen in my life." <laughs> and um, and then the, everyone, all the cast were like drinking and smoking all the way through the show. Uh, and I was like, I don't think we should be drinking so much during the show. I just don't think it's um, working. <laughs> it sounds like a Shane McGowan kind of show or something. <laughs> yeah, they were quite, they were a lot more raucous than things are now. And um, 
but um but then but then and then there were some really really amazing shows and like we're really lucky we're, we're at the bedford in ballam and um it's like it's got this huge kind of big sort of globe theater bit and it's just sort of obscenely early in the show career to be doing like really big shows like they're bigger than the ones we do now because it was a bigger venue so we're performing once a month and you get like 150 people in um and were you like was that nerve-wracking or were you just like embracing it and just no it was more like just exciting yeah it just felt like it's very exciting time to be alive because (laughs) it's like the opposite of the pandemic year isn't it because it was like um Improv was, um, it wasn't new in London. Improv's been around in London for decades, but it was like, it definitely felt like the the, the start of a new era for improv. It definitely felt like um, a thing. And like, um, and there was a, 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 I mean, it still is, but there was a really lovely improv community. And it was like, it was possible within like a couple of months to really know everybody in the improv community in London. It was like, you know, a hundred or so people um, who you'd see at all the same workshops and shows. Um and then also I was reconnecting with like um, old school, high school friends I hadn't seen for ages. So it was like very, very sociable, um, which was really good. Um, it's still a bit like that now to a certain extent, but obviously it's it's a lot bigger than I imagine yeah. it was back then. But um, I get what you mean though. Like even when I do workshops in London, you'll still see certain faces and that kind of thing. But yeah. you got a sense, though, at the time that there was kind of a shift happening, like there was maybe more people doing improv all of a sudden, or? Yeah, definitely. Like, not just with us, but just, like, um, so Adam Marriott and Dylan Emery running the Crunchy Frog Collective, you just sort of, you'd start off and you'd, and you'd be turning up on Saturday for a drop-in and there'd be, like, eight people there. And then about a year later, there'd be, like, 30, 40 people turning up. And um, wow. just the whole the whole thing was um was getting was getting bigger i think more known i think improv i think weirdly i think to the public i think improv had been it it's it, it still carried on but i think it had been forgotten a bit um but i think improv was becoming better known i think somewhat helped by like amy polar and tina fey talking about improv in all their interviews for instance and um and also i mean i know it sounds makes it sound like so long ago i, I think another impact was probably the birth of social media. So the other lucky break for Hoopla is the year we started was the year Facebook started. So we like were on it, um, not really knowing what it was, but before you all our friends were on it. So it just it became like just very easy to promote um, a show. Oh wow! So you capitalised. Like, Zuckerberg helped Hoopla then inadvertently. Yeah, I think so. It's just like that was all kind of early days for that then. Um, the other thing about early Hoopla, and, like, I, I, and I found this really interesting reading about Mick Napier and his history, you know, from the Annoyance Theatre. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you ever do, do get to interview him, I'd love to hear it. But uh, I'll, do, um, I'll do my best. I've, I've actually approached him, so hopefully. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's an interesting guy. And, I've, and it's like there was one overlap that I really liked about Hoopla and the Annoyance Theatre, and um, which was similarly, like, he, he also kind of came in from the outside. So he also was doing improv at high school I think in uni he didn't necessarily come through the kind of existing system in Chicago um and then set up his own thing I think we were similar to that in that we like we started uh like way sooner than you should with running workshops and shows like you know but we just had that optimism um and because we were pretty young, like we didn't really have the money to like fully train somewhere. So we were just like, well, let's just work it out for ourselves. So like the, the birth of Hoopla was really um, like four years of just running free workshops, practice sessions and shows where, you know, we'd literally just read an improv book and try stuff out and um, or get in a teacher and, and try things. So we didn't really have any understanding of what you're meant to do or should do. Um, it was more like, uh, let's just try this out and um and see if it works wow so yeah and, and how did teaching come about then like you know obviously hoopla's up and running you're doing shows to large audiences yeah. when did you think oh do you know i'd really like to start teaching this properly to the students um yeah properly is a good word so it's, that is <laughs> it's definitely a, yeah so at first it was like we used to test at first this is years ago but at first it was like well we're running a practice group so we just took take it in turns each week to run it um 
And was that just like at the discretion of whoever was running it, or did you have a clear idea of what you wanted to teach students as a program? No, it was very much like just let's just it's let's just play with different stuff each week, really. So it's just whoever cool. had volu- whoever had volunteered to teach that week. It was like they were free to just run what they wanted, um, and um, and I mean that was like three years worth doing that. That was like every week. And then, and then it went every twice a week. So for me, that was like, in terms of teaching, like that was um, like the learning on the job pretty much because it wasn't a paid thing then. That was just like a free practice session. But, you know, week on week, you do kind of learn like what's working, what's not working, like how to talk to people, how to do feedback and like how to um, like run a session. Um, in terms of then doing it properly, like as in professionally, um yeah, a couple of big steps. Like, I mean, one thing, like, suddenly loads more people started turning up one year. Um, so that meant, like, we had the demand to be able to do that. Um, and then I, then I started doing, like, a lot more um, training again, like, with um, IO whenever they were coming here or Annoyance Theatre when they came over to London. Um, I was doing acting training, Meissner training, improv training, just basically similar to yourself like as much as I could do really mm. um and um yeah then you go through the stage of like um trying to do all that in addition to working full-time that's pretty tough um, yeah I bet yeah because you, you said when do you sleep because <laughs> you're working all day you're doing classes every evening yeah you just become very bad at your day job <laughs> <laughs> yeah because I'd just be like uh <laughs> Oh god, I don't know who's listening, but <laughs> you know, I was just like, well, improv is my priority, and then um, and hoop flow is my priority, and by that point, I was committed to like setting it up and trying to make it work as a company and as a job. Um, yeah, and then that, but then the day job, I'd be like, oh, I've got to go and run a thing, and they're like, well, you can't go now; it's only five. It's like, yeah, that's when I'm contracted to. Um, <laughs> bye, <laughs> and. Um, felt like a right dickhead because I was like oh I'm being really shitty to people in my day job I'm not being I know I'm not being a good team member and I and I kind of hated that so it was nice to kind of leave that behind and be able to actually fully be myself but like you know I had to be I was somewhat selfish for a couple of years while I was setting up Hoopla and just sort of making that um the important thing no yeah, matter well, what well I suppose if you sacrifice one thing it's it's you're kind of sacrificing everything you know what I mean so like you know if yeah. If, if you'd have been like, oh well, you know, I won't leave early for this class. That kind of has a domino effect. You know what I mean? So, the fact that you were so focused on hoopla, obviously, is testament to what it is now. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And it's like I think there's a quote about that. It's like um, things that matter most in life should never be, at, you know, never be sacrificed to things that matter least. And I think, um, I don't know. No, I totally uh, agree with that. Yeah. But it's it's difficult though because you got that whole social pressure, and um, yeah, I think I don't. It depends what your background is. Like I, I met because uh, it's it's none of this is in my family background. That's the thing. So I felt a huge like a huge delay to setting up Hoopla was just social pressure. Really? Uh, yeah, through no fault of my friends and family, but in fact they were really encouraging. Um, but there's that sort of. Oh, I'm not meant to be doing this. But whereas then I've met someone else once who was getting into improv professionally and he was like, oh, both my parents are professional artists and they were really disappointed in me when I started working in an office. I was like, wow. It's a, complete, <laughs> a complete opposite of um, of me. But yeah, I think in my family, like, there's no there's no like history of doing this sort of thing. So they're kind of intrigued by it. Um, but... Yeah, they're kind of. I think they're still surprised it's still going. Actually, I think <laughs> I think my mum thinks it's going to be something else at some point. Um, so it's it, they just consider it a passion project, and then like ten years on, it's like when the hell is yeah. he going to give this up? <laughs> yeah, I don't know really. And they get really latched on. If I do any corporate training, um, I'll be like, I run some some improv with you know blah 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 company. They're like, oh, you could probably do that with them more often. It might branch out into like leadership training and things. So it's like. Uh no, <laughs> I run an imp- I run an improv company, Mum. I'm not gonna become a. That's not anyway. She's trying to turn you into Tony Robbins or someone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I you know what. I would love there to be like a Tony Robbins. I reckon there's a gap in the market for this, but 
just like a totally normal geezer, Tony, Tony Robbins. Do you know what I mean? Just like, <laughs> just a bloke getting up and just giving completely common sense advice, like with no Tony Robbins stuff attached to it. It's just being like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Apparently, there's a Scottish guy who does that, and he's oh, like, he's like an insanely thick Scottish accent, and he yeah. gives the most like harsh life coaching advice ever, and he just does these videos, and they're yeah. just brutal. But like, I get what you mean. Sometimes like the whole ultra positivity and you know all that can be a bit much, but I think he's the other end of the spectrum where he's just like insanely harsh. Oh, okay. I'm gonna check him out. That sounds <laughs> yeah. funny. Um, so Steve, what what do you focus on as a teacher now then? Because obviously you've you've developed over you know the years of hoopla and even before that when you were kind of just doing on the fly classes. Like, what do you focus on? Yeah, it's interesting. That say, um, so I've, I've tried out also, I've tried all sorts of things. And what I'm interested in focus on does change, like year to year. Um, but it's been interesting the pandemic year because being online. Um, I've had to choose like what do I want to do, and um, and um, yeah, certain things have bubbled up. So, I've been doing a lot of story recently, so improvised long form narrative, um, like multiple scenes connect- connecting together to improvise a story, especially one that's quite adventurous with some action in it. Mm. Um, and I really like that, and I, I really like how it's going down with the classes, and I really enjoy it, and I think. As a teacher and performer, that's probably what I enjoy the most because I kind of like I like trying to tell a story to the audience, and I like the fact that when you do that, loads of funny things happen to it, and it for me that feels like very natural, and it seems to suit the way I think. I don't know why, but like that style for me suits me better than uh, the Harold style or a montage or something where I tend to feel a bit lost, even though I've done it a lot, but. The story is is my favourite. I think probably because I first learnt from Keith Johnston and Patty Styles, and and that was probably drilled into me then. Um, also, so that kind of patient, committed storytelling in improv—that's kind of more your jam. Not that patient, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Yeah, no, not that. Not that. Pa- I do like to get to the action. Yeah, I do like. I do like that. I kind of like. Um, I kind of like. There's a Keith Johnston term which is bridging, which is if you know something's going to happen in a scene or a story, just to do it now rather than kind of build up to it. And I quite like doing that. I quite like being, and Patty Styles is quite like that too, to just always be in the unknown. So the second you know what's going to happen, just do it so that you're back into the unknown. So I quite, I quite like being like that. So we tend to, stories tend to be a bit more like adventurous and stuff. Um, also in lockdown, I feel like doing short form um, because it's a relief. Like if you if I sometimes I'm like teaching a bunch of story, and then I'll see short form pop up as a drop in. I'm like, thank God, that's awesome. Get to just like have a laugh. Yeah, um, it's a lot. It's a lot more carefree. It's just you're in that game or you're in that moment, and then on to yeah. the next thing. It's nice. Yeah, um, and then the other thing, uh, I mean, I could go on. And there's like the, I'm basically interested in everything, but the the top three. The other thing is Meisner technique. So that's been a reoccurring thing for me in pandemic year that I've come back to. Uh, and it's also been super popular in terms of like the, the mini courses that we're putting on. So I'm teaching that like once a month at the moment. And um, that's really good. Surprisingly works super well online. And um, I know you've done lots of Meissner as well, but um, that's, I think, I, I don't know. I think it's just for me personally, it's good for me as well. I, I found a lot of parallels between Meisner and improv um, yeah. when I was training in it, and it definitely uh, enhances your improvability because it's all about focusing on your scene partner and yeah. you know really reading them, yeah. uh, which I think can get forgotten quite a lot. You know, you, a lot of people forget to check in with their scene partner at the top of the scene and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and for me as well, I think the emotional honesty of it is is good for, is healthy for me. And I think others because I think I'm like I'm not. I'm not necessarily a very emotionally honest person in real life, day to day life. Um, so Meissner's good for me because it sort of unblocks me and um, and it's good for me on stage as well, I think. Uh, and I just always find like sometimes I think something's wrong with me or or me as a performer. And really? then I do a bunch I do a bunch of Meisner and then suddenly I'm like, fuck, yes, of course, just be honest, let it out. And then you let some you let some shit out that you've been thinking about for fucking months. 
And then everyone's in hysterics because they've also all been thinking about it, but no one's been dared talking about it. And I think that's sometimes where a lot of comedy can live. It's just like, you know, just letting out what's actually true for yourself right then. Oh, 100%. Totally agree with that. That's why, like, stand-up is so popular because that's what a lot of that is as well. Yeah, exactly. So, Steve, like, obviously I did one of your courses when I was starting out in improv and what I found was you're great at developing people's confidence in improv and making it fun. You know, that's one of the biggest things I found when I was in your mm. class. Is that a conscious thing or is that just something yeah. you naturally do? Oh, cheers, mate. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Um, no, genuinely, that's true. I do mean um, Yeah, it's a conscious thing, yeah. Yeah, it's just like... Well, hopefully it's something I naturally do. I mean, it's definitely, you know, like I was saying, the birth of Hoopla, like, it, you try out lots of different things and they sort of naturally found, like, okay, this seems to be where I fit in. And I think I'm very aware that you know, we're just part of an overall kind of improv culture. Um, and then at some point, you know, I, I definitely did make a conscious decision, like this is where Hoopla fits into that culture. And I was like, especially in the earlier courses, I was like, I want us to be encouraging, supportive, um, really good for people new to improv, um, like building confidence, having playfulness, all these sort of things. So like that's, I mean, that's literally in our kind of, value pack that I would train a new teacher in um and if I'm going around to monitor like someone teaching for Hoopla like that's what I would measure it against I would I would be kind of like looking at how fun friendly supportive um the workshop was um and also I think and then you might yeah you definitely make a choice because then there's also there's kind of room for um like a different style of teaching, like being more, not destructive, but more like, actually, let's go into detail here. Let's kind of, you know, stop and point out where things aren't going well and this sort of thing. And I think you, st you can still do that while being supportive and encouraging. But I think with Hoopla, as we we're growing and bringing in more teachers and stuff, it's very much like you have to have some sort of connecting thing across it. Um, and I think teaching style is one of them. So yeah, it's definitely a conscious thought. And you kind of look at, like what what do you say to set up an environment at the start and like how do you give feedback is important and um how you teach is important like can you teach through exercises and then also kind of like celebrating stuff and i think for me it was really interesting because um i think sometimes people know more about your company than the person running it so people like really knew what they were trying to get from us so Sometimes they'd be like, uh, well, I did this course, it was great, but it didn't really feel like a Hoopla course. And like, they really knew what that meant before I did. So then I, I became really interested like about four years ago in like what that meant. So I'd just be like, I'd go into that more detail, be like, what do you look for from a Hoopla course? And be like, I want it to be really fun, playful, friendly. I want it to feel good. Um, so yeah, that's, that is what we do for oh, sure. Oh wow, so like you, you took on board the feedback, like what was working and then channeled yeah. that to make it like, on brand for hoopla throughout yeah definitely yeah, yeah. well that's that's very clear because i mean most people i know that have started out in improv have flourished in like hoopla because it's just such a warm friendly environment and it's no coincidence like your community is enormous in hoopla like yeah. like you've got you because you I, I, as well you're very encouraging to teams like if you train at hoopla and then you form a team you'll give them spots you know it shows and you'll give them advice and that kind of thing it's not as if you know you, you train at hoopla and then when you're gone it's like well all right fuck off you're not <laughs> i'm not helping you anymore yeah and very excitedly that's coming back so like we've just started this week um booking in live shows again so our producer angela who does all the booking uh previously um she's just been helping me out with online classes this is her first week where i said don't worry about that you just focus on shows coming back so great yeah from june hopefully um shows are coming back so she is gradually booking things in and we're definitely hoping to bring back that culture i mean it's like i mean the crazy thing is we were looking at because it's been a year since we've been since the theaters it was on a little bit in september october but not that much so it's been pretty much a year that the theater has been closed down so we were like, I can't remember what we did. And then we opened up the schedule, show schedule from 2019. And we were like, fucking hell, we were <laughs> mad. And I was like, how did you do all this? And she said, I've got no idea. And we're looking at it. It was like, I mean, you know what it's like. You performed there. We were like, 
Yeah. We had like 25 groups performing on one night on, on Saturday. <laughs> like from six till eight, there was like uh, like 15 shows. And then there was eight till 10, there was more. And then there was a late night with four teams. Um, and this is like behind the scenes, like a team of two of us like running the shows. And um, yeah, so it's a little, at the moment, it's a little bit overwhelming. Like how can we bring this community back? And like, does it still exist? Because like, I don't think, like not all shows survived this like some groups uh are just you know i think they may be on the way out anyway and that i don't and they're you know not coming back as a team some teams have been like blooming rehearsing online every week without fail and they're coming back like stronger than ever mm. um some people have been in hibernation and like haven't spoken to each other and then we've emailed them being like do you want to do a show and they're like yeah <laughs> they just immediately <laughs> like come back like it's nothing um yeah so to go back to what you're saying like yeah def- definitely we, we always try to be um i have that space where people can um get experience and try out things and put things on and then also balancing that with being professional um for the audience so i don't i don't think like for me uh, the challenge with hoopla is i don't i don't think being fun friendly encouraging sociable supportive is has to be like mutually exclusive from being professional and, and good for an audience. I think actually the two things can be connected. So it's like, because you have a supportive environment, people can grow as a performer and then put on like a really good professional show. So mm. one of the things we have is like, just to make sure you've got the right audience in the right place. So if you've got, if you've got someone who's, you know, done a couple of courses and it's their first time forming a team with some friends, you don't want to put them on a like um, headlines spot at nine o'clock on a Saturday in front of people who've had some drinks and you know don't know them yeah. but you can you can put them on to like fellow improv chums um you know a bit earlier and um and and that will be that will be good so just trying to work out the best place for everything really oh absolutely yeah because you don't want to put them in the deep end and then they freak out and never perform again so yeah, yeah. i totally agree with that but as you know some people thrive on that don't they you've probably seen that with ends of course shows so sometimes there'll be someone who's just so quiet all the way through the end of the course show they look really nervous and um <laughs> no sorry through the course they look really nervous and like you're like yeah they're getting it but you know uh and then and then they turn up and they just suddenly decide that they love an audience and you're like where'd that come from yeah yeah <laughs> and they're and they're drinking at the bar like oliver reed in the 70s like, the end. like you're like you're like bloody hell mate where'd that come from and yeah like, i don't know i just and then and they're and they're sort of wide-eyed and hooked after that they just can't get enough of it um so yeah yeah i've witnessed that a few times <laughs> <laughs> what's your worst show experience steve and what did you learn from it um yeah, I mean, there's the one I mentioned already, I'm afraid, which was the, um, like, really early on the show, which was, like, really bad. Um, I mean, there's just such a long list of things to learn from it. It was almost everything. Um, and, um, so, I don't know, mate, there's been so many. <laughs> <laughs> so if you, were to, if you were to go back to yourself then now, yeah. what advice would you give to yourself then after that show? Oh, I wouldn't give it myself any advice because it might jeopardise the future. You know, like <laughs> Back to the Future style. My son might disappear. I'd like to. Wa- I'd like to watch from a darkened corner. I don't think I would talk to myself for f- fear of jeopardising my happy, safe existence now. But um, I'd just be like, mate, chill the fuck out. It's going to be fine. Just enjoy being young and like. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, no, seriously. Um, I think there was also, so there's that one really early on where it was just like, I mean, it's just basically it was like learn improv and practice. That was because <laughs> there's so many points. And then uh, there's a bunch of Edinburgh ones. I mean, for me, the, the main thing that comes to mind, actually, I could go, I could talk for hours about various improv points. But the, when you say that, every show, I think the main thing that comes to mind where the bad ones is the sort of team dynamic where there are problems with the team. You know, yeah. where you got um, differing commitment levels, people not getting on in the cast, um, people having a different understanding of what is required from them, um, and um, and sort of resentment among like the cast. I think you can't really get beyond that. It's very hard to perform 
with people and people to put on a good show if they're not if they're not actually liking each other in real life i think the audience kind of see that and um that would be that's difficult um the, the ones that have gone well um what they have in common is the opposite of that i think there's um, a shared understanding of what the show is and a shared understanding of what the commitment is and that could mean actually weirdly enough that you've literally just been thrown together that night some some of my favorite memories are that where um <laughs> do you know what do you remember that one um when we and you were backstage with gammas and it was like whatever anyone said we we whacked each other with like a rolled up piece of newspaper or something i can't remember what it was <laughs> yeah every was time like, every time i made a suggestion you were like sl- miming slap me in the face i don't know i don't know why but it's just funny because it was like <laughs> <laughs> there was just a there was a lot of playfulness backstage, and I think that went onto the stage. And I think yeah, yeah, I remember that for, night. For me, like the things that connect together the good shows are if you're having a good time backstage before you go on, and you you're happy to see your friends, and you like being with each other, then that that is more than likely going to progress to the stage. I think, and the same afterwards, it's like it should feel like one big celebration. Whereas if you're kind of like turning up all moody about each other and there's, you know that's it's very difficult to get past that point so that's the yeah. main thing i would i would get from there is to is to really like don't be scared of leaning into like sorting out the personal issues amongst the cast and like you know get that honesty going and break through break through all that stuff um so that you can actually have a good time really yeah well that's that's always so clear as soon as the team goes on the stage you know if they're of one mind and they're all there supporting each other it's a yeah. totally different show to a group of individuals on stage all trying to be funny. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, I totally agree with that. Um, what's the best show you've ever seen, Steve? Ever seen? Yeah. Oh, mate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's one that sticks out, actually, which is, uh, I don't know if they exist anymore. So there's one called uh, One Night Stand, the improvised musical. And that used to be at Edinburgh Festival and they used to come over I think they were based in LA they're quite a young group actually in in terms of the age of them a bunch of like no really young like teenagers or early 20 somethings doing an improvised musical Um, but it's quite a while ago it's like back in 2017 or something not 17 2007 and um, that was like so good because I'd never I'd seen short form by that point and I loved it Uh, I didn't know of long form I didn't have any idea that that was a thing that you could do, that you could just go out and improvise a musical. And it was like a packed room at the Pleasance. So it was like really good atmosphere at Edinburgh. Um, I was just like loving improv. I had no expectation. I was just, I want to absorb it and just see what's out there. And this group came in and they just did this. Like, I love Antarctica as well. And like they, they did this story set in Antarctica with these scientists. And like I was sat next to one of the cast members' dad and he was like so proud of her. Aww. Um and she did this, like, they were just so funny. They could sing so well, improvise so well. They were so funny. And, like, the characters, everything. I was just like, man, this is so good. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was it. That's probably my f- favourite because, yeah, that really triggered me into being like, yeah, I want to do this more. And um, I just thought it was just like, I think it could, it's just one of the experiences where I was just, like, really happy to be human. I was just like, humans can do really awesome things. Just, like, in Edinburgh and all this stuff's kicking off. And, like, literally meeting all these people and I like everyone in my life <laughs> and uh, and like every show I'm seeing I'm really enjoying and there's so many people interested in the same stuff as me um and um yeah it was it was really cool and I think also similar to that a few years later I saw Baby Wants Candy which is a really similar show um oh yeah that's really famous that's always sold out consistently at uh, Edinburgh yeah, I like those. I like that as well. I think it's also both types of the type of improv that I personally really enjoy, which is they're telling a story, but in a really kind of upbeat, exciting way. It's like a lot of adventure and passion in it, um, emotion, comedy, like the whole lot. Like it's a real experience, like a real theatrical experience. So I think those two would be my favourite. Yeah. Okay, so you got a bit of a penchant for the old musical improv then, by the sounds of it. Yeah, but not not necessarily because I like musical. I think it's more like the story, actually. Like, the, the way they do improvise stories, that's what I really enjoy. The pace okay. of it. The pace of it. It's just like... I mean, it's hard. It's, I mean, it's point, this doesn't translate to audio, but I saw a baby once candy, and the first scene was was four people playing table tennis, right? right. It doesn't sound exciting, but if you saw the commitment that 
they started that scene. Like one person just went bam straight on stage and like initiated playing table tennis. And before the imaginary ball had hit the other end of the table, there was uh, someone else there, bam, and then someone else with them, bam, initiating that it's the doubles match. And then the fourth person's in straight away, and then someone else is being the ball. And it's, it's all happened in like, you know, a, a, a split second. And the audience just went mad straight away. It's actually the first thing they've done. All, the, all they've done is initiate table tennis. Like any improviser could initiate a table tennis scene, but it's just like when you see it done with like 100% commitment um, and focus and like support for each other, it, it's like just the room became electric straight away just from the fact that four people are playing table tennis. And I was like, that is cool. It's not, I, I was like, oh, it's not just technique improv. It's, um, it's spirit, it's passion. It's like, uh, you know, you, what I got from that was like, you can learn about, oh, in improv, you can, there's a difference between yes ands and blocking, but that's, it's not like a, it's not like a binary thing, you know, it's not like you're either yes anding a line or blocking a line. It's like, how much can you yes and? Like, how much can you agree with this? Um, and you see that when you see someone really agree with the fact like, yeah, we're playing table tennis right now. <laughs> Fuck yeah, this is like the best idea. Yeah, we're going to do it. Um, and um, that's that. It's just, I, I just got a lot from those shows. Yeah, I love those magical moments like that when the teams are just so in sync and so supportive. It's yeah. like they're reading each other's minds. It's so good to watch. I love those kind of shows. Who would you love to improvise with? Uh, Susan Messing. Wow, straight away, you had that <laughs> you had that in your mind. Why yeah. Susan Messing? Obviously, she's a legendary improviser and she's insanely talented, but I'm just curious why you, you picked her. Oh, she's just like, she's so naughty and playful. And I just feel like, I quite like being smacked around on the improv stage. Like, someone says to me before I go on, like, how do you like to be, you know, sometimes people before they go on, they say, everyone says, I like, got your back. But sometimes people say, what do you want? What do you need from me on stage? And I always say, like, I really like being smacked about a bit on the stage, like, as in... <laughs> I like to be thrown into the unknown. I like curveballs. I like I like people, like literally pushing me around. <laughs> you know, I, I like I don't I don't I like not knowing where I'm going, and um, I like people to feel hundred percent confident that they can like fuck around with me. And like I think she's so like that, and yeah. um, she's just got like a twinkle in her eye. You know, she's just like really, just like so funny, and I just think it'd be really exciting, and. Um, and I think she's also got that thing where I think she just really sees you. Like I've been taught by her a few times and I've had a chat with her in a pub. And it's one of those people where she just sees straight through you. And uh, I just don't think there'd be any hiding from her on stage. And I think I'd really like that. I wouldn't feel like, um, yeah, I wouldn't feel like I was in competition or, in, or, you know, I wouldn't feel, I'd feel awkward, but I know that she'd use my awkwardness on the stage. So I wouldn't feel like intimidated by the fact that she's this world famous improviser. Because I know that she would use that and make it work. So I kind of would totally trust her. Um, Amazing it'd be, answer. <laughs> it'd just be like an experience. It'd just be an experience. It's like being on a roller coaster, I reckon. I think it would be like, you know, really like an extreme sport. That's what I'd hope it would be like. Um, and uh, yeah, so definitely. Oh, great. That, I, I would actually love to see that. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, is there anything you'd like to promote, Steve? Have you got any shows? You said you got some show, live shows coming up in June. What dates are they kicking off? Uh, yeah, so actually, um, Hoopla's Theatre is reopening in London Bridge um, from the last weekend of May, hopefully, if the roadmap to reopening goes to plan. Uh, but even if it doesn't go to plan, we're still going to, we're not going to give up. So we are going to be open at some point. Um, luckily, it's all there still. Uh, we start off with shows every weekend and then gradually build up again to being every night of the week. Uh, at the moment, we've got online classes running, um, starting every week and real life courses and classes starting from early June, hopefully in, in venues across London. Uh, and then we'll be gradually like every improvement, like gradually uh, building things back up again, I hope. Yeah. Um, Great. And if, and if we close again, we'll just do more online. So that's our plan. It's not very imaginative, but <laughs> we <laughs> when needs must. <laughs> yeah, we have a lockdown plan now. We have to do how we have a, a. It's on one side of A4. It's what to do when a lockdown happens. It's like yeah, three lines. <laughs> yeah, put stuff online. Uh, have a day off. Actually, that's what that's on the list. It's like you know, have a day off to have a cry and uh, throw shit around your house. 
<laughs> then, and then next day, just uh, reorganize things. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> Steve, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I really, really appreciate it. It was fantastic talking to you. Best of luck with the, the classes and the shows online and best of luck with the live shows coming up in June. And uh, look after yourself, man. Hopefully I'll see you in the not-too-distant future. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me, my friend. I'll speak to you soon. Oh, what a great guy. So great catching up with Steve. Definitely check out Hoopla's classes and shows. They're doing live shows again now, but they also do some online and some online classes. Would highly recommend them. Now, next week, I'm chatting with Holly Mandel from the Groundlings in Improvolution. Had so much fun talking with Holly, and was so interesting talking about her experiences with the Groundlings, launching her own improv school. Definitely check it out. Well, that's it for this week. Big shout out, as always, to Crow Wonder for the theme music Space Fun. See you next week, everybody. Bye.